So, um, I'm just going to get right into it. You remember when we watched Something Evil? I do. Of course. And okay. I said, this probably is going to be the worst movie we watch for the <laughs> podcast. Do you remember that? Yeah, and I didn't agree because, of course, Hook is lurking out there. But, uh, wow. but yes, I do, I wow. do remember that. You had to go there. <laughs> we just getting started. We're not 30 seconds in. You're going to need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life uh, finds a way. Welcome to uh, I almost did it again. Uh, welcome to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast for myself, Jeff, and Eric. Howdy. Hey. We go through every single one of Alfred Hitchcock. Nope. Steven nope. Spielberg's movies. <laughs> uh, I don't know how long it takes to break a habit that you've done 52 times. Um, to We go through all of Steven Spielberg's movies. We do it in chronological order. And I thought we were through the worst of it. Surprise. Yep, this was here lurking in the shadows. You say Hook is... Okay, look, I'm going to concede right now. I'm, I'm going to just put this it out there. This is worse than Hook. <laughs> I'm going to put this out there into the universe. This is worse than Hook. Yeah, it like, is. Like, even with my bad memories of Hook, and it has been years and years since I've seen it, since it was, like, in the theaters, uh, this is definitely worse than Hook. I, I, I found this gallingly offensive i found it an assault on the senses yes i found it like just misguided thematically i found it uh damn near unwatchable and i'm sorry like i know like we usually try to keep the cursing to a minimum on the show and well, I'm it's over gonna, today boys i'm gonna put a warning out there that- we're gonna get that illicit <laughs> tag or explicit yes i i i can't hold myself back when it comes to this movie it's um I hated I, assault- hated 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 this movie. And I I was pleased when the credits hit. Yep. Uh so I could turn it the fuck off. Like it was heinous. Heinous. And and uh, I don't know. I did okay, so so wait. Before before we get too far into the hate, mm-hmm. I wanted to to make no like I I made some notes of the few things in the movie that did work for me. I had a couple that were laughs. worth worth praising. I had a couple laughs. And so I go into this as a fan of slapstick comedy, right? I love Naked Gun, Top Secret, um uh basketball, all all these over the top silly slapstick comedies. I love SNL casts. You know, at any movie with SNL casting, I'm usually down for. Me too. Absolutely. Um, this is the exception in every possible way. This is what what would you what would you say the plot of this film was? Because I'm not sure. There's no one of the biggest issues with the film is that there's no through line to the movie. It it follows probably five or six different storylines equally jumping between them. My my nine year old daughter has this thing that she learned in school that when we're when we're watching a movie or reading a book or whatever, she zeroes in and says, Who's the main character? 
Who's the main I was character? Literally about to ask you who the protagonist was, and, and that was and my next question. That's the way she processes the movie is through the, the eyes of the main character. And in this film, there is no protagonist in this movie. There's no primary uh, storyline. It jumps between these various storylines. Uh, not I wouldn't say equally, but no. often, frequently, and, with, and, but with there smashing be away from like certain storylines for long periods of time. This movie's two hours long, and it it just keeps going. But there's times where they're away from certain storylines. When they come back to it, you're like, oh yeah, they're in this movie, and then okay. there's storylines that just come, happen, and then go. So let's let's set the table here just real quick. Did you watch the theatrical release or did you watch the extended version? Oh God, probably extended. How long is theatrical? Uh, theatrical is about two hours. The extended version is two hours and like thirty-five minutes, and that's the one oh, that I watched. Dear Lord, you! Oh, are you okay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> are you okay? Because so, I watched the one I got was I tried running it on Google, and for some reason I kept getting an error. I don't know why. It's my for per- preferred place to rent things. But then I ended up having to go into Amazon and give Bezos the bucks. And it was the two-hour, I'm guessing, theatrical release. Okay. Okay. So there may be parts of the film that I talk about that you're not familiar with because- That's uh, fine. Apparently, after after the theatrical release, they showed this extended version on ABC, and people seemed to like it better than the theatrical release. Because I, it can't, a, I can't imagine. No. A two-and-a-half-hour movie adding in ads- that's like a three and a half hour day. Well, I'll tell you, it just made it that much longer and unbearable, to be frank. But but there are definitely sequences that are in it that that you will not have seen. So uh, I apologize if I start ranting. You're about good. Something. There are so many times in this movie that I hovered my mouse on the screen to see how much time was left, and I felt like it kept getting longer. I did that too. I was watching I was like, it all oh, back. And we should have just God. an hour left. Oh, I'm 20 minutes in. Thank God my wife didn't watch it with me. I almost <laughs> asked her to watch it with me. And, and thank God, because I don't think she would ever watch another movie with me again if she if she watched this with me. Um, not only was it offensively bad, but it was also just offensive. In her, it was her, offensively offensive. Her, her sensibilities would have been... Uh, she would have rejected it outright, right? And just left the room giving me filthy looks for staying, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, that's the thing. This is one of those. So on my other movie podcast, one of the things that I've established uh, after watching Uncut Gems was uh, my co-host asked me, well, if you were just watching this on a whim, would you have turned it off? A thousand times yes on this one. Oh, yes. I would have never never watch this thing all the way through right i it, the only reason i finished it is this podcast yeah absolutely it is an assault on the senses is the correct thing because it throws everything at the wall everything yeah. and there's a scene in the movie where robert stack rest in peace i don't know if he's dead or not um comes out of a theater and people keep running by him and he's like well what's that and then the next thing's good well what's that and he does it like three or four times. And that's us as the audience. That's us going, whoa, okay, what the hell was that? And this movie isn't, for being a slapstick comedy, isn't slapstick enough. The comedic bits are few and far between. And there's the ones no, that are there don't land. There's no sense of comedic timing. 
no sense of comedic How? Timing. Like, there I are was... some bits in this movie that should have worked, and and they don't because the timing is so poor and the editing is done in such a way where it doesn't it doesn't let the audience even rest on the laugh moments it just smash cuts away to the next thing and i i mean i can't imagine anybody making this film thinking that it was going to come out and be funny you now, know i don't i don't know but i don't think Spielberg has any other comedies, just flat out comedies. No, he does not. I think he learned and his lesson. I think that's smart. It's not for everyone. I personally believe comedy is hard. It's my favorite genre of film. And it clearly is, you don't know how to do it. And when it, you have Dan Aykroyd, Belushi, John Candy um, on your on your movie and you can't find a way to make it funny... Uh, anti-funny i mean it yeah, is it the is opposite an, of funny it is an anti-funny now, film there are a couple things i enjoyed the slim pickens part where he's in the bathroom i thought that was pretty funny but oh, i'm see, a poop I, joke guy yeah see i am not a poop joke guy so i put it on the <laughs> list of things that i hated that's uh, fine that's fine but him anyway and that's maybe because i'm crazy at this point it's like halfway through the movie and i'm like well at least this guy's pooping boots and i can take that with me we should also mention christopher lee's barely in this movie as a nazi and i like he came on straight wait i'm like that's christopher lee this I, this movie was written by robert zemeckis right there it's there's talent everywhere in this he movie. wrote back to the future or will write it in about five years yeah one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Just, I don't know how this went so bad. I, I don't. I don't. But let me, okay, okay, let me, let me, uh, just, just for the people that haven't seen it, real quick, this movie follows a number of different storylines that take place in California about a week after the Pearl Harbor bombing. And... All of the stories basically deal with how the public reacts to the Pearl Harbor bombing and this kind of aftermath when they are, there's this assumption that the Japanese may attack California and the Los Angeles area next. And so it's all about kind of the hysteria that builds up around this presumptive attack. Um, in real life, there was an incident where they decided that Japanese planes were over LA and they just shot up into the air for a couple hours at nothing. You know, they were throwing mm -hmm. flat flack up into the air. So that actually happened. Um, a couple other incidents portrayed kind of humorously in the movie actually happened, but yeah, there's a number of different storylines uh, that, that kind of take place over this 24 hour period in the LA and Hollywood area. And I don't. I, I'm not going to go into them and break them down. We'll talk about. I them can't tell you as, what happened in this movie as they're relevant. But, uh, but okay. Let me talk for a few minutes, or let's talk for a few minutes about and, and see if we agree about some of the things that actually did work. There are some some glimmers of light in the movie. Uh, I like that Robert Stack. Spends most of the movie watching Dumbo. A hundred percent. That is on my that, list. 
that, that is on just, my list. And people come and tell him there's things going on outside. He says, just take care of it. He's sitting there watching Dumbo, crying, just thoroughly in to the movie. The he is, heart, it, it, and Robert Stack plays. If you don't know who Robert Stack is, he's the guy who used to host um, Unsolved Mysteries. On, Unsolved Mysteries. And the voice of Robert Stack is, for me, it's pretty iconic, right? It's like John Madden, him gorilla monsoon if you're a wrestling fan his voice is just brings me back to being a kid from watching unsolved mysteries and he's the hardened leader of the military and he's sitting here weeping and just enjoying the film dumbo yeah it and 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 dumbo is a great film like it is despite the racist crows it is one of the most uh heartwarming and effective disney films as far as like just emotional impact oh you don't like dumbo not for me give me a jungle book any day it's it's just sad and touching and you know they show him watching kind of like the 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 most touching parts and and i felt like robert stack and christopher lee and toshiro mifuni we're all too good to be in this movie. Oh, everybody. And, and they were all, those three in particular, felt as though they were acting in a different movie. Yeah. They they felt like and kind of I removed would say from Dan the fray Aykroyd a little bit. Does very good Dan Aykroyding in the movie. He does until he doesn't. Like yeah, there's the part where he goes crazy and he puts a sock on his head with oranges and yeah, but when he goes into his thing where he's like, we're Americans. And one thing I will not see is Americans fight Americans. And it's just classic. That is is a really good Dan Aykroyd. You just, (laughs) it's just classic Dan Aykroyd. It Uh, is. Yeah. He goes race dance a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like he kind of gives some, some Dan Aykroyd speeches and they're, they're pretty good. Yeah. So I liked I liked most of the dance hall sequence. Like, I thought the I, choreography was very yeah. cool. I like, one thing that I liked, too, is when Stretch is about to dance with the blonde girl. And they he they hold each other pretty normally. And then he starts dancing violently. And she's kind of just getting <laughs> tossed whipping around. Her, whipping her around. And yeah. I thought that, even though I'd seen that gag in other movies, uh, I think Airplane even, um, it was done so better here because she's really being tossed around. I couldn't and tell if it was a dummy or not. And no, then I decided it, it was, was not. Being. It was not a dummy. But it really speaks to the way that women in this movie are simply props. Like, yeah, like they're the all wo- about the conquest of getting them. Is yeah, the plot? Yeah, the women have no agency whatsoever in this movie across the board yeah. i mean they are just merely objects to be attained or in the case of uh, ned Beatty's wife jaw's mom uh somebody just get the hell out of the way you know yeah. um but regardless i thought the choreography in the dance hall sequence was was very cool um i i, I just liked the dancing in general i thought was I, was pretty neat in the kind of some of the slapsticky moments in that uh-huh actually worked a little bit you know really early on in the movie i thought i was in for a good time when they're in the diner and they're cooking in the kitchen yeah and they're just doing a terrible job but they're having a great time like they're just throwing eggs on the grill and they they crack and start sizzling but the eggs are there and there's a part where he pours a cup of coffee and he just tips it over and it goes everywhere and i'm i'm laughing i love that stuff like 
I, I just like that they're running this diner in the kitchen and they don't they're just having a good time dancing and I thought that was fun. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty fun too. Um another another thing that I really thought was extraordinary were some of the special effects. Like we we talked about close encounter special effects and how the alien ships kind of worked in the space of the movie. I thought this was even better. Um, the, the, the aerial shots and the fight scene over Hollywood Boulevard, while it didn't work in terms of the plot or the story or like what was supposed to be happening on screen. Yeah. The the effects themselves were Ferris wheel going into the water was pretty great. Extraordinary. The house going into the ocean. Yes. It was all practical too. You know, like they did all, all that stuff. I mean, a lot of it was miniatures, but the house I don't think was a miniature. And I don't know. It looked great though. Whatever they did. It looked fantastic. It was reminiscent of the, the, the truck in duel, like times a hundred, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like going over the cliff. Um, so yeah, so I I liked the special effects. Um I liked I liked the pieces of the film that I could kind of see as roots for later Spielberg films. Yeah. Um the the opening sh- the opening shot with the jaws thing will get Come on. you. Well, who the parodies parts- their own movie? In That's the-, the first thing that got me. I had to make sure I wasn't watching something directed by someone else. It was the most egotistical this- this has got to be the only time fucking... I can think of in history that someone has ever parodied their own film. Two two films later, his head was so far up his ass, yes. his own ass, that he parodied his own movie two films later. And, and like, uh, just, just was, okay, I'm not now ready the, to talk about that yet. I do want to talk about- A lot of people have done, by this point, jaws parodies yeah it's It's, not even an original thing to do right you're doing like it'd be one thing if uh, it'd still be kind of dumpy but if you're like man my movie's so good no one's bothered parodying it to recognize that being parodied is a good thing that it's a sign that you've sort of arrived and you're in the zeitgeist like if weird al does one of your songs you have arrived and and to, and plenty of people were doing that with Jaws, but I guess he felt like not enough. I don't know. If Michael Jackson parodied Billy Jean, you know, two years later, people would have been like, what the fuck is he doing? That's, yeah, what, that, if he parodies his own video? That's, that's the sense that I got from this. Like, I, like, that's how the film opens is with a direct parody of Jaws. Same actress going and out, I was like, stripping so down. And there's it, like it, the, the sand dunes or whatever they are. I don't the live fence, in California. The fence there, the like fence. Th- the whole thing. And I'm like, this is like Jaws. and But it wasn't quite like on the nose yet. And then she gets uh, disrobed and goes in the water. I'm like, he's not going to do this, is he? And then and you hear, bum, bum. You're like, he's doing this. He absolutely does it. Yeah. But that... Uh, there, there's just a certain shot where it's out into the water and you see the rocks out there. And those are the rocks from the Goonies, which, which I thought was really interesting. I recognized them immediately. I was like, Oh, those are the Goonies rocks. Like that. They use the pendant to look through, you know, yeah. so he, he shot that in the same place. 
Uh, there's also that Rube Goldberg bit, and I don't know if this is in the version you saw, but the way Treat Williams wakes up on the dance floor after he gets knocked out is this whole series of events happens where like the the ball rolls down and it yep. hits the chairs and the chairs all collapse and you know it kind of goes and, uh, through this the whole thing. Punch fills the, the chandelier, and, and then it drips on his head and it wakes him up. And movie. that that was also very Goonies ish, and and I kind of thought it was clever. Um, the dance hall part kind of reminded me a little bit of Temple of Doom. It kept you know? going though. Like that it, scene lasted forever. It did. It did. But the whole kind of slam bang chaos of the movie reminded me of a very unrefined Temple of Doom. You know, I yeah. mean, that's it's the kind of the same mood that Temple of Doom has, where it's just one damn thing after another. Boom, 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 boom. You know, but it's done a lot better in Temple yeah. of Doom than it's done here. There was one um, other thing, and I don't know if it was an intentional joke, but I thought it was interesting. Jim Belushi has a cigar in his mouth for the entirety of this film, and it's never lit, except when he comes out of the water onto the, the submarine, yeah. then it's lit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. I don't know um, if it was intentional or if it was an actual flub, but with it, that's the beauty of slapstick. You can just sort of chalk flubs up to being intentional, but this movie has me wondering. Yeah. And so they got the guy from the nerds in this movie. And yeah, I, the guy And from he Greece. just plays the same character, but he's a ventriloquist, and he's stuck on a Ferris wheel. With another guy. And and already, like, you're hearing this, and that's this is that movie. This is a movie where I each scene I can just describe the character like that, and it's just like he's doing... It just sounds absurd in any situation. There's a woman who, when she's on a plane, becomes extremely aroused, and there's a guy that wants to sleep with her, and he spends the entire movie trying, trying to get, to her, get on her, her plane on a plane flying, even though... He's not a good pilot. That whole storyline is absolutely ludicrous. And, and they waste her. She's Nancy Allen. I don't know if you recognized her, but she's the other cop from RoboCop. And, uh, you know, beautiful woman, talented actress. Absolutely, like, a, almost a humiliating role in this film. Her whole, like, the entirety of her character is that she gets horny when she's on an airplane. Yeah. And she's in this movie. She just a loves airplanes. She's obsessed with airplanes. I there are a lot of people who have a lot of hobbies and a lot of things they're obsessed with. Yeah, but not to this degree. <laughs> I, I, I. So that's one subplot. Yeah. So uh, other other stuff that works for me. Um, I thought the little rascals reference, which I don't think is in the the. Uh, I did not see it or catch the, it if it was in my movie. The part that you saw. Uh, uh, I don't think it was in there, but at the point where the guys get thrown out of the diner at the beginning, the little rascals are standing outside the diner, which oh, I thought that, was kind of fun. I think I would have noticed that, but I don't think it was in my movie. But there were a lot of times I was looking at my phone. And then there was one stunt, uh, which I just wanted to kind of call out because it it's right up there with the other like Spielberg oh, with the, face the, breaking the Sugarland one. The Sugarland stunt to me is just the most brazen... Yeah. There was, jeopardizing there, of people there was one that was similar to that it was it was during the scene where like all the cars are racing around outside the dumbo theater and the tanks like running over cars and there's just oh, one shot that? where these two guys <laughs> fall off of this car 
and I was like, oh, those guys are dead. Like, they have to be dead because yeah. the car is speeding along and they fall off the car, like, on their face. And it it's a hideous stunt. It's like, like bone crunching, your nuts shrivel up when you see it, you know, and it's just like there and it's gone, just like everything else in this movie. It's there and it's gone. Uh, but it, it's just one of those Spielberg stunts. It's like, oh, man, you really jeopardized those dudes. You yeah, <laughs> that's what we pay him for, the stunt people, is to risk their lives. I guess that's true, though. That's what you pay him for, but good God. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Is that all the good things? Because that, That's uh, all the good things, th- yeah. We got a lot more out of that than I expected. Yeah, uh, there was one sequence also that I, I think that you didn't see, and that's when the Japanese guys come off the sub and they're all dressed like Christmas trees, and that's yeah. how they that's how they catch. Uh, Boy, Slim that sounds Pickens. like a worse movie than the one I watched. Yeah, it, it, that part was like moderately like when I saw it, I was like, "This is so absurd, it's kind of funny," you know. Um, but then I got a long ass list of stuff that I absolutely hated, and and tip top of that list is rape humor which the whole damn there, movie is just full of like there's one character in particular who is named stretch which upsets me because my uh friend's stepdad and when i was a kid he always called me stretch so this guy's ruined that name but has the hots for this girl who's dating Maybe one of the only likable characters in the movie, or not even dating. He he wants to date her. Yeah. Right. He's interested in her, but he actually wants to take her dancing and try to romance her, you know, and, and Stretch, on the other hand, is an alpha male uh, who just takes what he wants uh, He's a hideous human being. He's a hideous human being, and he does this weird thing. And the first time I saw him do it, I was like, are they are they doing this on purpose? But then he does it over and over throughout the movie where he runs his hand over his face to change his expression. Yeah, so he'll be he'll be really angry. And then before he turns to face the woman, he'll kind of run his hand over his face and then he'll be smiling. And it's kind of like like I don't know if they're trying to imply like the split in his personality or how it's all an act or whatever. Um, but it's a weird thing to just keep doing throughout the movie. Uh, but yeah, this, his his character essentially spends the entirety of the film trying to sexually assault this woman, and and at one point he drags her underneath a car. You know, mm-hmm. he throws her around like a rag doll. Uh, she spends the entirety of the movie trying to get away from him and screaming and and you know trying to get help and trying to get back to the guy who actually likes her legitimately mm-hmm. and uh and at one point he drops her down into a hole like she's down in this hole and he kind of like helps her out go. okay yeah. yeah and he just drops her down in the hole and it's all played for laughs and i it, it's indefensible like i i know that this movie was filmed in the late 70s and I know that it was kind of filmed to mimic the style of the late 40s, early, early 40s. 40s, early 40s. Yeah. Uh, but and, and I know that in the early 40s, women on film were treated a certain way. So there's an argument to be made that they were trying to emulate 
the I way that women were treated say on that film. About the um, about the way they refer to the Japanese. I, I, think, I think you could say historically that in that time you could say that's how they talked about the Japanese. Yeah, right. But but it doesn't change the fact that they 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 lean into this really really hard. Uh, the women and the entirety of the film are just there to be sex objects to the point where there's a sequence, and I don't know if you saw this, there's a sequence before this young woman goes to the dance where her dad pulls her aside and sits her down to talk about the expectations of a woman going to this dance. And she says, you know, these guys are just there and they only have one thing on their mind. Show them a good time, sweetheart. Do what you have to Incredible. do. Incredible. No, that was not in my movie. <laughs> And it was it was a, a jaw dropping moment, and again, it was played for a laugh. And it, like much of the rest of the movie, there was absolutely nothing funny about it. Um, but you know, and in, in, in the whole thing with Nancy Allen and the airplane, uh, you know, it's it's beyond cringy. You know, it's beyond. At least it was humor. mutual. <laughs> at least it was mutual well the airplane thing like was mutual to a point yeah. but the, the whole point of that whole plot line is that she tells him no like repeatedly yeah. she tells him no I don't like you I'm not interested in you I don't want to be with you Yet I was offended changes. by what happened last time but yeah, when and he so says his, what if I can get you in an airplane right and she's kind of on board with that yeah, like, his whole thing I, is I don't, to manipulate her onto the plane so he can get laid. I think that even though I, I I'm going to be a little easier on this, mostly be at least for the character. I don't think you know, for the character is so one note and just she's not a character. She's a walking hole for this guy to stick his dick in when he gets her on a plane. But like, he has to get her on the plane, right? So, <laughs> um, I'm just saying for the characters, she's on board with getting with him as long as he can get her on a plane. Uh, and I think there's this even trade almost of <laughs> you, she, what she's going to get out of getting on a plane. He's going to get out of sleeping with her. And so it's not even close to being the most offensive thing in the film. No, that's true. It is. It is. And it's nowhere. <laughs> it is nowhere close to being as offensive as the thing with with stretch and, and, the young lady and now um, stretch has even though he's pursuing this blonde girl has a um more curvy woman uh who is pursuing him in a very similar way but not true. as violent uh not as i don't violent. know it's not as violent uh what's funny to me is hollywood is like look how big this girl is and i'm like looks pretty good to me like i just She's not that big. Yeah, she's she's That's like, not even that. It's just she's not unattractive in any way. No, you know? not at all. Not at all. And they play they play her for laughs as like kind of like the man hungry big girl who's chasing the guys around the entire time. And and uh, I recognized her from a few other films that I've seen in the past. Maybe she had some TV shows that she was on. I definitely like knew her from things. And I always remember as a kid thinking that she was pretty cute. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> when she was in stuff, and so I. I this think is before that, I don't. I don't know if it's something that changed, but um, and, and maybe it's because we're in the era of Cardi B, 
that thick is good, you know, like it's it's a much more appealing uh, body type yeah. nowadays as opposed to back in the Hollywood era and 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s where it's thin to win. And then, thank God, Sir Mix-a-Lot came along and let us all know that it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, doesn't care what Cosmopolitan says. Yeah. So yeah, that the that character is maybe a little less problematic, but still problematic. And okay, right. so it's it just sh- it shines a light on the fact that everybody is one dimensional. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But except for the guy that is the love interest of the blonde girl. I, I don't care or know the character's name, but his storyline is is that he is trying to woo this girl he's also a dancer and he and he he likes to dance and he's looking forward to this competition he's trying to win he also uh at one point like leads a tank and um leads a group into battle you know so he's got things he's doing um but he's the limit of any sort of dimension yeah if anybody has an arc it's that guy yeah Um, that's the closest thing we get to a pro tag yeah so Setting aside all the the rapiness, uh, we get to the racial stuff, and there's there's a scene in the extended version which I don't think you saw, but essentially the John Candy one where they both have different soot on their face of some kind. No, no, it's prior to that. Okay, they're in the barracks, uh, I, assumedly near the house where they've placed the gun. And the black soldier shows up for the first time. He says, I'm here. I'm reporting for duty. Now, he looked familiar. Do you? He, I don't know what he's from, but yes, he is familiar. He like, looked extremely familiar to yeah, me. Yeah, he's he's from stuff. So I'm John, look and see if I can find out. You go ahead. John Candy gets up out of his bunk or whatever and walks over to the guy and he paints a white line on the ground. And he says... That's your side of the Mason-Dixon line. This is my side of the Mason-Dixon line. You don't come over here. And the guy crosses the line, and then John Candy paints another line, and he says, this is Alabama. You don't come here. You know, it, it's, it's, it's like very flagrant that they are setting up John Candy as the racist guy. But again, it's all done... For laughs, like we're supposed to find this, you know, uh, generally like othering and humiliation of this guy who just showed up to do his job as as somehow funny. And then, of course, the payoff comes later on in the movie when when John Candy gets black soot on his face and this guy gets like white flour on his face and he tells John Candy to go to the back of the tank. Yeah. Great stuff. Good for laughs. Awesome. Wonderful. Like so, so cringy. Yeah. So so. And cringy. it didn't. And it didn't have a commentary, on, like on anything. That's like, I can't remember what movie it was I was watching, but I was like, what is the movie? Oh, it was stage. This movie called Stage Fright, not the Hitchcock one, where there's a scene of like someone being pressured into sex, and I'm like, but the movie's not actually taking a side. And I think that's the problem, right? The movie's not actually taking a side here and saying this this sort of action is not acceptable. And yeah. 
I, that's my problem. So the actor in question is Frank McRae. Now, um, where I know him from is specifically National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1. <laughs> an underrated slapstick gym, in my opinion. Uh, he funny. plays the chief where he's like, if you embarrass this department, your pants will be dancing with fists. Yes, yes. Okay, that's An right. amazing line. Don't be so fast to thank me on this, Luca, because you're going to be naked on this one. It's on the line for you. People are going to be watching. Now, you blow it, you're going down. You screw up, you're going to be hung out to dry. You drop the ball, you're going to be left twisted in the wind. If you embarrass this department, your pants will be dancing with figs. Is that clear? Everything but the pants fig thing. Yes. Uh, you know, Samuel Jackson's in the scene, and he's like, he's like, Does it, am I clear? He goes, everything but the pants and figs thing. Um, <laughs> that's where I know him from. But he's been in a License to Kill, uh, several other movies, uh, Last Action Hero. But to me, he is the captain of Loaded Weapon 1. As soon as you said that, I can picture him in that captain scene. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yep. Yeah, so, like, to me, the only point of this lone black person in the movie... Like, literally, I think, the only yes. black person in the movie. And was, he's only there, and it's to to do race jokes. To do race jokes, and not in a Blazing Saddles social commentary sort of way. They are simply race jokes. And uh, it, it, it's, I mean, again, I know this was the 1970s. That stuff maybe flew more than it does now. But the fact that when they went and they re-edited the film, and they added more. They added more <laughs> in. They took that off the cutting well, room floor and added it back into the film, maybe for context or something. But yeah. uh, like jaw-droppingly poor taste. If this were my movie, I would be attempting to do a George Lucas Christmas special and bury it. Well, that's Fucking like uh, Hitchcock and. and, and some of his movies, you know, it's like Mountain Eagle. Just it disappeared. I don't know where it is. I, I And yes, if I were a Spielberg, I would do the same or at least get out in front of it. I've never heard of this movie and I've never seen him say, hey, what I've done here is bad. Because obviously he goes on to make Amistad um, and The Color Purple and movies that definitely um, deal with race in a much more acceptable fashion and a more realistic way yeah yeah i don't I, I, think steven spielberg at least as he stands now is is a racist or a sexist or anything like that but i definitely see this, this movie, movie. <laughs> i see this movie as spielberg maybe indulging, it's just i don't know what to say indulging his inner 12 year old you know i think if i saw this movie when i was 8 or 10 or 12 you know like at that time, it was the 1980s. Things played differently then. But uh, I was already into Airplane. And well, and now, I don't it. know how you feel about it. And I'd have to ask a, a person of color to be certain. But there's like the jive characters in Airplane. <laughs> yeah. And as a white guy, I've always enjoyed those characters. Yes. And I, I don't, don't know how other people of color would feel about it. I do not either, and I have the same perspective. I always thought those guys were hysterical. I thought uh, they just were, and the way they delivered their lines, yeah, were so fluid and fast, and like you have to stop and listen to what they're saying. And I just, I think that it's 
done with more care in that movie. But I well, could be wrong, and I'm open to that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'm open to that too. Yeah, I, I could. They could be horribly offensive caricatures, and I'm just not seeing it because of my yeah. own perspective and background. But I do think across the board, airplane is this obviously oh not even much, close very superior. Airplane is a top three comedy for me. Like is airplane Dumb and Dumber, and then I don't know what third would be. But those like airplane and Dumb and Dumber to me are on their own echelon of just comedic genius but that's the mood that that, that's the tone that this film is trying to hit and it just miserably fails and then a year later here comes this film you know that that shows how it should be done and could be done and uh yeah yeah Okay, okay, so the race stuff is bad. The way everybody talks about the Japanese people is bad, but is and again, the historically Japanese stuff to me is like at least historically accurate. And they don't necessarily even make fun, right? It's I think it's historically accurate, but when the Japanese are on screen, they are portrayed in the same silly way that everybody the white else is, and maybe even more seriously, right? Uh, yeah. I to a degree, know. I mean, they get fooled by Slim Pickens, but the Christmas tree part that I, didn't I referred see that, to <laughs> as as kind of working for me, it worked for me because it was silly. But it, it definitely does lean in hard on the whole like Hollywood, you know, like that whole thing. Okay, uh, yeah, and and so that and again, of it's it my is, my white brain doesn't allow me to see everything that would be offensive there. I don't, you know, I'm not as attuned to that so yeah again i'm open to being wrong but okay. i it, it didn't i didn't there weren't like a there at no point no one does an offensive chinese accent or japanese accent yeah um well again i think really like so. the commander on the sub feels like he's in a different movie you know he's he is yeah oh totally sh- all the stuff on the with- submarine does feel like a different movie yeah 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 he's kind of treated with respect the 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 nazi guy is a kind of a foil for him how and they do you kind have argue christopher back and forth. lee in your movie and this is what you do i i don't there's so many like robert stack christopher lee now robert stack was in airplane he's oh, a great straight man it's great in airplane absolutely great yeah but, like, when he's delivering the lines at the end of the movie where he's like, I make you want to hold her, kiss her, get, tell her sweet, you know, I can't remember the lines. He's just, he delivers everything deadpan, and he's amazing. And then you have Aykroyd and Candy and Belushi, which I've never been a Belushi fan, but certainly Aykroyd and Candy. I mean, great outdoors. Go watch that instead of this. Um, are awesome. And... I didn't think that this, a movie could have so many things. You, ever, you make a meal, right? And you put great ingredients into it. Every every All of my analogies for film come back to food, even on my other podcast. <laughs> you put in salt, pepper, the essentials. You got to have that. Then you add a little turmeric and you add some cumin. And you're like, ooh, this is going to be a good bowl of just deliciousness. And And then you just put the nastiest shit you can find on top of that. And it ruins the whole meal. I, 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 that's how I feel. Is like this movie could have been good. It could oh. have said more. It's made by Spielberg, who is arguably the greatest director of our time. And 
written by Zemeckis, who again wrote Back to the Future, one of the best movies of all time, and it's still horrible. And there's not anything to take away from it to say, well, I can at least see him growing. I can at least see shades of spe- this movie is a waste of time. Yeah, well, I think I think the entire theme of the film is really misguided. Yes, like like I I, I think like so the the idea is that it's all about the hysteria that took place after Pearl Harbor in California. It's like oh these people are like scared and so they would, became hysterical I mean, and like, acted crazy. Well, that's yeah. just it. They were right to be scared. Yes, you know, like they had just gone through this like collective national tragedy. Uh, you know, Pearl Harbor, like, there's no... It's like modern probably how the people in Chicago 9/11. on 9-11. Yeah. Because right? they it's, emptied, a lot of people don't talk about it, but they cleared out the Sears Tower in Chicago because they hit New York, they hit the Pentagon, and every if you were in a big city, you were flipping. If you were even in L.A. on the other coast, you know, and... Now, the entire I mean, country locked down, yeah. and everybody was afraid, and everybody was right to be afraid. And, you know, and, and I and remember so, being in smaller cities and be like, "Well, let me think about it." So I'm in the smaller. They're not going to hit us, you know. I mean, there's they head down, hit Orlando, down south, or like in your case, maybe oh, they probably hit Cincinnati. They wouldn't come here, you know. And that's the kind of thought that's going through my brain. So yes, it's a very different mind state. Yeah, and, and so I don't I don't necessarily think that like making fun of that situation and we have to we have to keep in mind this is only like thirty you know, thirty some years after this happened. And so like right now it's about we're, how like, far we are away from We're twenty years out right? from nine eleven yeah. and so it'd be like making a, a real I'm still wack, not wacky okay comedy nine eleven jokes. No, you know, people it, are starting to make them and maybe it's because I'm a forty year old man and I watched it on TV. But I've never been okay with them like and i imagine that there are some people who went through pearl harbor i don't know you know some of them would still be alive but don't find pearl harbor jokes to be funny and no um, i mentioned gorilla monsoon at the beginning and this is my wrestling corner for a moment he would always say when someone got blindsided in a wrestling match they would be pearl harbored and i'm like if someone said symbol oh they got 9 11 I would just be like, that is in poor taste, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so. I, I have like a kind of an open, like I don't, I don't really think that there are like sacred cows in humor. You know, I'm not uh, a guy who really says too soon about things, but I do think that the approach matters. Yes, you know, and and context matters, and how you decide to bring humor into a dark situation matters. I'm all for dark humor. But I, yeah, I, I, agree I with think that. Yeah. lampooning the national tension after a national tragedy is thoughtless and disrespectful. Um, I will say I think sexual assault is off limits for humor. I personally. think okay. as, a, as a huge yeah. fan of comedy, uh, uh, that to me is like, no. <laughs> yeah okay yeah when i say no no sacred cows I, 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 that was not the I sort mean, of thing i was thinking of, i mean murder you know? can be okay I mean, I mean the oj jokes never get old but uh i don't know why but that's just me i just put it in its own category where i'm like mm. but uh, there's there's but okay so the, i think it's because nobody considers murder okay 
but there are people in this world who think that um, you could just take a woman and that's your right or whatever. So there's, I mean, there's punching down and there's punching up, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so like with something like, OJ? I, I could, I, <laughs> Recipes, I mean, as far as, Norm as, far as, as far as comedy goes, I could see somebody taking a really dark personal situation. And I don't want to say like sexual assault, but a really dark personal situation and turning it into a, a collective experience through humor. You I know, like, have sure. you ever heard, have you ever heard Tignataro's thing oh, that she did immediately good. after, after she was diagnosed with cancer? About like, she, her, she, like about, um, I always hated that my breasts were small and now they got offended and they're trying to kill me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She's so, brilliant. I, so I, I do think in the hands of like a master and she's like also that with the right but it's perspective, her own tragedy too. It's, it's her own tragedy. Right. And that's, that's what I mean. The difference between punching down and punching up, you right. know, like, like I think somebody could take their own personal experience and turn it into, uh, you know, a, a work of art through comedy. I don't think that Joe Schmo off the street can go in and make rape jokes and have it be funny. You know what I mean? So I do think that there's a perspective in which some of these things work. I think that this movie is not that perspective. Oh, yeah. There's no... I think this is this is this is Spielberg taking a swipe at his parents' generation and, you know, with all the glee of a twelve year old that's gotten into the whiskey and just smashing his toys. And uh Yeah, I just I find it like wow, terribly right. if, inappropriate. If anyone listening can go the latest Tignataro stand-up special on Netflix is start to finish a masterpiece of stand-up. She's Tig just is wonderful. A genius of she really is. She's, she's on her great. own level. And I remember growing up and being like, man, I just don't think women are funny. Because I just the stand-up I would see was like not for me. Nah, Tig is on. She she's on her own wavelength. She's incredible. I, I yeah. There are a lot of women comedians that have really like. Oh, Kate, my tone Kate, is, Kate, is, Kate, just, Kate McKinnon is amazing. It's completely changed. That was me being a naive idiot, or at least maybe, uh, you know, people who put out comedies not knowing what makes funny. Yes, you know, like actual funny women not getting a chance in the industry women not allowed to be right funny that was probably more of it than anything yeah uh, but now i mean yeah uh, Kristen shaw uh she does the voice of louise on um bob's burgers and she was in flight of the concords oh yeah she's great okay yeah it Brilliant. took me a minute to place her yeah no she's fantastic uh Kristen wig is fantastic there, there are a lot of like you, great yeah. it's hysterical like, women in the business but t- Rose Byrne, surprisingly, <laughs> Rose Byrne. I don't know who that's. Uh, never mind. We're, we're getting Google way it. off. We're we getting are, way well, off. This is your fault. No, I can't blame you. All right. So it, there are also pieces in the movie that I think should be funny, could be funny with the right timing, and they're just not. Like the guys on the Ferris wheel. It's the mayor from Jaws and the weird little nebby dude from from Greece. And they're on this Wait, Ferris wheel. And he's from Greece? I thought he was from Nerds. Is he in both? No, a different dude from Nerds. This dude's from Greece. That nerdy kid is from Greece. He's from Greece. Yeah, he's, he's not, not from, from Nerds. Nerds. No. I looked him up. He's actually had quite a big career, but Nerds is not a piece of it. Why did I think it was from Nerds? Nerds, Nerds was Anthony Edwards and the other guy. 
I'm blanking on, but he is also famous for other stuff. But it's or not, not Nerds Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're oh, talking you're about. Oh, you're right. He is totally okay. All right, continue. I think, yeah, okay. So they're on this Ferris wheel. They're supposed to be watching watching the sky. So they put them up high so they can watch for Japanese planes or whatever. And the the guy from Greece is super annoying. He's doing his Jerry Lewis shtick. Where he's going, yeah, you know, oh, he's yeah. doing this whole thing. And, and so the other guy is like, God, just shut up. Just shut up, you know. And so the dynamic between them is funny. They get up on the Ferris wheel, and then the nerdy guy pulls out a ventriloquist dummy and <laughs> starts starts talking through the dummy. And I'm laughing because just the concept is funny. Like the idea that this guy who finds this other guy super irritating gets trapped up on this Ferris wheel for hours and hours, and then the irritating guy pulls out it a ventriloquist dummy it's it, funny. It's I'm a already funny trapped. idea. So he's got it makes me laugh. He's scared of heights. Now he's stuck up there. He's with probably the most annoying person in the world. And then the most annoying person in the world pulls out a ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> it's Absolutely funny. the worst situation. It's just. And in this movie, it's not funny at oh, all. No. It doesn't work. The timing is off. There's nothing funny about it when it happens. Like beyond the concept you know, there's nothing funny about this guy pulling out this dummy. And, and and so there's a moment where it's just like, man, there is no understanding of comedy or comedic timing in this movie at all. Because here's something that should be funny, you know, and it's just not funny. Um, on a technical I level, think that's I, the whole movie. This is a movie I, that should have been funny. I hated the visual filter that they filmed everything through. It was that made so it, great. It like, was, yeah. Even at the beginning with the Jaws parody, I couldn't see Jack. <laughs> like, it's so grainy. It's and like I, there's Vaseline smeared on I've the I've been lens. on record saying I like the 90s, you know, 70s, 80s grain that films have. I find it cozy. This is way past that. This is where it's like making the film harder to watch. Yeah, there's definitely a smudgy filter going on here on purpose. And there's one moment in the movie where they're having like this smudgy dark moment. And then it, it cuts to uh, John Belushi flying over the Grand Canyon. And all of a sudden, like everything is crystal clear. Yeah. And and it was almost this like physical sense of relief that I felt because they ditched that filter for a minute. And I could actually see what was going on. And uh, it just made made the fact that it was filmed in this way that much more painful when they immediately went back to it. Yeah. Um, John Belushi, I feel in general was just totally misused. Didn't have anything to do. Generally wasn't funny. was just kind of obnoxious. Yeah. Which you know. I feel is true about, I, and this is going to maybe offend some people that like, I don't think he's a funny guy. <laughs> like it just that. I don't think anything he did in this movie was that different from what he did on SNL. And he's like, to me, a worse version of who Chris Farley became. Oh. Chris Farley was the guy who could be over the top and just full energy all the time. And he was so funny. And this guy Agreed did Agreed on Farley. Agreed on Farley. And he would try to be full energy all the time. And he just was annoying. I, I personally just never was a, a Belushi guy. I think what made... 
Belushi interesting was he had kind of this menacing vibe. Yeah, as but well. that's because there was he was a, actually there was like not a, a good person. Danger. There was like a danger to Belushi. You know, like but you would be friends with Chris Farley. Like, I think that is the big difference. Like Chris Farley, it it was like my dad, big fat fun guy, big teddy bear, right? <laughs> and then there's Belushi. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I haven't. I honestly haven't. There are some serious blind spots in my Belushi repertoire. You know, the main things that I know him from are uh, some SNL skits in Blues Brothers. Yeah. And uh, where where I Animal like House. him a lot in Blues Brothers. Um, so, but in, in general, in this movie, I don't understand why he's in this movie. Like, he's just an agent of chaos running around. That's we never see precisely. his mission his mission launched what is he so we doing? don't really know what he's doing i think he's you know? just gone mad and he's completely rogue he's just out on this plane supposedly looking for japanese fighters uh and, and running around like blowing stuff up shooting things and generally just being an asshole um and but it's never defined like why he's there what his mission is where he came from he's just flying around on this plane the entire movie popping up every now and then and starting shit and uh, it, it's uh, uh, the part is larger than a cameo, but not much. And I don't understand why he's featured so prominently in all the marketing for the film. Um, he has zero moments with with Dan Aykroyd. Uh, and and that feels like a big wasted opportunity. Um, yeah, it's I don't know. It's, I don't know. It, yeah, this movie's just a miss. It is just a miss in every way. I, I I do not think you need to watch it. We we haven't even gotten to Ned Beatty and you know his craziness and his complete disregard for the safety of his family while he's fighting with a freaking okay. submarine can, with a thing. giant gun and he doesn't even tell his family to get out of the way or yeah. get out of here because the submarine is shooting at us. You know, like yeah, that's true. Here's another thing that I can say is a positive. Spielberg once again shows his ability to allow kids to be kids. And that I is think true. All the kids in this movie do a great job. And I think uh, it's uh, got to be Spielberg. He just knows how to direct children to be kids. I felt like everything the kids did made sense, felt natural. Um, and that's a positive I can bring away. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So, uh, I have some questions. I have some questions for you. Of course you do. I'm on board. <laughs> I'm fine with it. I'm just ready to move on to next week, but or next episode. No, no. We got to wallow in this pain. Okay, good. <laughs> Great. You're. That's what it'll, I'm talking about. It'll make it'll make next week seem so much sweeter. It's going to be amazing. Okay. Uh, a lot of these things we've already talked about, so I'm going to kind of skip around. Um one of them is do you think that this is a suitable subject for a parody of this nature you know should it have been smarter i like you said there's not a lot of things off limits and i think it would have been fine if in the hands of the zuckers uh you know it probably would have been a lot better do you think that an older spielberg would have been capable of making a film this nihilistic I, I well maybe maybe nihilistic but not funny. I yeah. still like I watch Ready Player One, 
and uh, it's there's just this gap in his ability to understand comedy and i'm <laughs> thinking of all his movies i've seen and i'm trying to think of even just funny moments in some of them Ra- and I raiders can't. has some funny moments that's okay that's true indiana jones and how much of that is harrison ford though you know like yeah and especially when you get to crusade and Sean Connery shows up. So, yeah, I, that is true. There are there are comedic moments. So slapstick is its own brand of difficult, though. You have to know how to weigh the ridiculous with the straight. Right. And to balance that. And there are some geniuses in that world. Leslie Nielsen, um, you know. Leslie Nielsen, the greatest of them all, probably at being able to balance <laughs> being a straight man and be ridiculous. I don't know that anyone's ever done it better, but, and I think it's a really tight rope to walk. And I don't think Spielberg knows how to do it. Here, here's what I wrote. A comedy works best when we recognize parts of ourselves in ridiculous situations. When you see human behavior in difficult places, do you think anyone in this film behaves like a human? Maybe the boyfriend. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's the closest I can pull from. Like he, his motives make sense. Um, he seems to be noble. Uh, you know, he he's the only one who doesn't do something that's just terrible. You know, he there's a girl he likes. He tries to pursue her in a, in what I think to be a proper way. <laughs> I I mean, I don't for him maybe, but that's it. Do you think that this film would have worked better following the template of something like the Blues Brothers where it starts out relatively grounded and then gradually builds into scenes of chaos as opposed to just I, being chaos beginning to end? Oh, definitely. I And that's one of the things about slapstick in general that you have to understand. And one of the reasons these what I call the movie movies get it wrong not so much like the early scary movies, but all the stuff that followed like epic movie and all of that garbage. They, they fail to understand is that the world still has to be grounded. And so when the ridiculous things happen, that they seem that much more ridiculous. If you just have re- all ridiculous stuff at this, everything is ridiculous while it's happening, then it loses that punch. Right. So you have ridiculous and then you have something maybe a little more witty and grounded humor. And then you have something ridiculous. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, so it's, it's the same as my theory of horror movies. The difference between a good horror movie and a crap horror movie is that a good horror movie takes the time to establish its world and characters. Yeah. So you, you care when something happens to them, whereas a crap horror movie just tr- treats them like meat and shoves them through the grinder. Right. Uh, um, and, and I think like so I'm thinking again of uh, Naked Gun the way they still keep the movie funny in those grounded moments is with incredible dialogue where, you know, the, the one that I always think of is uh, someone offers Leslie Nielsen a cigarette. They go cigarette. And he goes, well, yes it is. And, um, and it's just that sort of like those misunderstandings that can happen in a grounded world that are still funny. And then you have the one, you know, where OJ Simpson is on a submarine and getting shot at and he burns his hand and he leans up against wet paint. And that seems really funny because it's in this grounded world. 
and I think that again, that's the misunderstanding here is this this world isn't grounded. It's just chaos. Yeah, it is. It's just chaos from beginning to end. And I feel like like the editing just accentuates that you know the editing this movie just jumps from one chaotic thing to another and it's like they're trying but they're trying to jam on one thing for forever it felt like you know i'm again that dancing which you do say is a positive and while i get the positive parts of it it just stays there I just like the choreography yeah. for the most part, you know, like I, I thought like the kind of swing dancing choreography was really cool with like, like the action kind of running in between the dancers and so on. Um, the part where the guy runs up the wall and flips behind stretch. Like I thought that I was really of- enjoyed that sequence of him using dance yeah. moves to get away from this guy because now he's in his element. Right. You exactly. know, he's like, I know dance. And I, that was a, that was a genuinely good part of the film. So yeah, I yeah. Agree with that. And then when the fight starts, it just goes right back into chaos again. Yeah. And, and the, like they're trying to like Spielberg is jamming so many things into the frame at once. You know, like disembodied women's legs just kind of twiddling off on the side. You know, like upside down people for no reason. You know, and, and like so many things in the movie just happen for no reason. Like the guy on the motorcycle shows up and he's covered in dust. Why is that guy covered in dust? Like just what out of nowhere. Hell, what the <laughs> hell happened to that guy that he shows up on Hollywood Boulevard covered head to foot in dust? Yeah. Like why? Why is that happening? You know, like there's so many things in this movie just making you go, what the fuck is going on? Like why is this happening? And and like I I I understand embracing chaos. I do. Like I think that that's a legitimate tack to take. But in this case, none of the chaos works is interesting is entertaining or is funny you know and and uh it just hurts hurts my soul hurts my soul that this movie even exists um so last question uh, last question do you think the world war ii film spielberg eventually made were made in penance for this film I don't know that that's specifically why he made them, but I think while making them, it had to be in his head. Yeah. When he's making Save the Pri- Saving Private Ryan and when he's doing Amistad, which is not a World War II movie, but I think to show, hey, I was an idiot and this is how I feel now and to do things with respect, I think absolutely had to be in the back of his mind, right? Yeah, and I understand doing things that are disrespectful when you're young for the sake of doing yeah, things that are disrespectful. Sure, yeah. I did that shit. Like, I yeah. wrote some horrible songs when I was young. Stuff that just makes me cringe now to think about it. You know, horrible, horrible stuff. And got on stage and sang them in front of hundreds of people like an asshole. You know, so I I understand this need to kind of, like, strike out when you're and, and just kind of rage at the universe when you're young. And so I like I I in some ways kind of get that like nihilism of the young, you know, a, a, a misanthropic urge to just tear down the world. I just feel in this particular case it is a very elaborate <laughs> expensive act of of uh you know, nihilism and chaos that that I, I think I would be fine if it just disappeared from the world. Yeah, I, this exactly. This is uh, this is bad in every sense of the word. Um, 
there i always say there's things like the worst thing a movie can be is boring that may not be true <laughs> there it could be racist and sexist and but and this boring is all at those the same things, time. And boring. And boring. Uh, and one of the other things the worst is a, is a comedy that's not funny. That's all one of the worst things, right? And so this is a comedy that's not funny. It's a movie that's boring. It's racist. It's sexist. It hits every mark that a, a terrible movie can hit to be bad, and it accomplished it. So congrats. <laughs> and I did go into it hoping to like it. I know? really did, because... I see, and again, at the beginning, when they're cooking, and it's just kind of, this, they're just throwing eggs, and it's just slapstick and and fun, they're having fun, I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be so bad, and how wrong I was. How Indeed. Wrong. So, uh, I'm going to say something now that I might regret again, but I'm going to do it again, just in the interest of, of the pod. This is probably going to be the worst movie we have to watch for this podcast. I, I agree. I know there are some like clunkers. I said it for something evil, but I will watch something evil a dozen times over instead of watching this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There there are some like not great movies coming up, but I don't think we're going to see anything as offensively bad as this again. Yes. I think I think I think we have gone through our own personal war uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and come out the other side. And uh, we gift we are gifted with Raiders of the Lost Ark oh, as yeah. a uh, as a consolation. Yeah, prize, we got so. a little movie coming up called Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, or as it was originally called, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, prepare yourselves for joy and happiness to return to your lives. <laughs> I need it. I just watched it. Like, there's going to be a review that comes out much earlier than this episode on my other podcast, the movie Draft House, where I had to review another movie that I really didn't enjoy. Not for the same reasons I didn't enjoy this one. So it's been a weekend full of movies I don't like. I'm ready for next week. Yes. Or let's get two back weeks. To the, let's get back to the good stuff. The classics. We're, we're on our way now. So We are uh, on our way. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find Eric on Twitter at Eric underscore Hotter. Uh, you can check out his YouTube channel. You can check out The Gaming Nexus and The Gaming Nexus Show. That's TheGamingNexus.com and the podcast The Gaming Nexus Show. Uh, all of those links are in the description. If you want to find me, I'm at Podcast by Jeff on Twitter. You can also check out Budget Arcade, where I review free-to-play games with Mark and Scott. And then my other movie podcast, the movie Draft House, where I review movies with Mark. And we disagree pretty much on everything. Not always, <laughs> but a lot of times. Um, so that's any last words before we get out of here. No, I'm glad it's over. And uh, if anybody wants a Blu-ray copy of 1941, please, oh, did you uh, buy it? Please tweet me your oh. address, and I will drop it in the mail. It is you yours. Bought it. Oh, it was only ten bucks. It was ten bucks. Tragedy. Uh, yeah, but still, I spent four bucks on a digital rental, <laughs> and I got ripped off. Oh, I did the whole nine. I set up the big screen. I had the booming sound going. And, wow, uh, you really defiled your setup. I did. How I did. disappointing. Okay, but well, now it's next week you're going to set Raiders, it up again so. for Raiders. You probably 100%. already own it. I do. So you're good to go. We'll see you in two weeks' time for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Bye, y'all.